Welcome back. We are in Genesis 29, verse 26. Let's go. Genesis 29, 26. So to set the stage, last episode we were talking about Jacob, who thought he was marrying Rachel. Laban did the switcheroo. Instead, put Leah in as the uh, um, bride instead. And they used to wear these veils, and much like in our custom today, uh, a lot of the brides will wear, wear these veiled, but we're talking back then fully veiled, couldn't tell who it was. Today, when you have a veil, you can still f- typically see very well who the person is. It's just maybe a little bit blurred, but back then, he had no idea that he was marrying someone else, marrying his bride's, or what he thought to be his bride's sister, the older sister. And so now we're going to hear Laban's excuse. For, so verse 26 of chapter 29 of Genesis, and Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. All right? So we've got a lot going on here. We've got a web of deceit. We've got a web of consequences to actions that happen. Right? Jacob deceived his father. Jacob took advantage of his brother, who was the firstborn, who was the oldest, even though they were twins, it was probably by minutes. And now Jacob, Jacob is being taken advantage of by Laban, his now father-in-law, who swapped his two daughters for Jacob and given him the older one. And now Laban is making up, we think, making up this thing, saying it's a custom to give the older one uh, first, not the firstborn. Now, we don't know for certain, but that probably wasn't a custom. I think he's just making that up because he wants to marry off this older one. Why? Well, we can speculate as to why we think that may be. One potential reason, or kind of reasons coupled together, if you will, is he's looking at his two daughters, Leah, the older one, Rachel, the younger one, and he's thinking, Rachel's beautiful. She's going to find a husband, no problem. I'll, you know, get paid well for giving her away away, uh, to a future husband, or maybe even I'll marry her off to Jacob because he loves her a lot. But first, I got to get Leah wed. I've got to get her out kind of off my plate and uh, get that, get the, get the gift for her and get her married. So I think that's what's going on here, though I don't know for certain, but that's my speculation, if you will. Just trying to bring some context to what may be going on around all this. Why is he, why he's doing this old switcheroo? So I think he's given uh, Leah for those reasons. And now he's saying, all you have to do is stay married to this one, and I'll also give you the younger sister, which is the one you really wanted all along and the one you still want, Rachel, and all you have to do is work for me another seven years. So he's totally taken advantage of Jacob. I think he looked around and saw that he's getting wealthy because of Jacob work. Jacob's work. Jacob was a great hard worker. He did great things in this. And he's like, man, I got seven great years out of him. I got Leah married. Now I'm going to get seven great more years out of him. Rachel's going to be married. Both my daughters are going to be married. I'm going to be wealthier because of all this. It's all good. All I have to do is take advantage of this poor Jacob who thought he was marrying the girl that he was actually in love with. So all of this is coming back to roost because Jacob took advantage of his dad. He took advantage of, or deceived his dad for sure. Took advantage, if not also deceiving his brother. Esau, and now it's coming back full circle to him. And you've got this just web. And so sometimes in our lives, we can look back and we can see this just web of deceit, web of lies, web of of consequences to something we may have done. And maybe we don't even understand the consequences. A lot of things that we do wrong, the sin, we don't get to recognize or kind of reap in reverse, if you will, the consequences 
of what we did because there are consequences on other people, maybe on future generations. But we want to understand that when we do wrong, when we sin, there, there's consequences to that. And some of those consequences may be realized in this lifetime. And uh, for unbelievers, those consequences, if not recognized during this lifetime, they, they will have to pay for them for the rest of their life uh, because they won't have eternal life. They'll have eternal condemnation, uh, separate and apart from God. But anybody can come to God, right? This is a conversation I had over the past couple of days with someone. It's that all paths don't lead to heaven. All paths do not lead to God. There is one way. If you believe that God wrote the Bible, and there's so much evidence for that, that he says in the Bible, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except by me. It is very certain, 100%, with no uncertainty, that if you believe the Bible, and you believe that Jesus died for your sin, there is only one way to heaven. There is no other way. You can't get there through another prophet. You can't get there through another God. You can't get there through saying, well, there's a purgatory, or there's a second chance in the next life, or when I stand before God, if I had the wrong God, I'll apologize to him. No. You've got to do it during this life. God has made it certainly clear, 100% in the Bible. So if you believe the Bible, it's the only way. If you don't believe the Bible, then you've got to find something that has more evidence than the Bible. And I think it takes way more faith to believe in whatever else there may be uh, in than actually to believe in the Bible. I think that believing in the Bible and that God is God, He is, so He says He is, He's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I think there's it is the most logical, it is the most scientific, it is the most theological, there's the most uh, evidence, uh, historical, physical, everything. And verse 28, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife, also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. So something interesting here, this, it's, it's not perfectly clear to me, but we can look at this from a couple of different contexts. We can look at this in verse 27, fulfill her week, which is Leah's wedding week, and say, okay, they're kind of a week-long celebration. Here in America, we typically do one night of celebration, and the groom and his bride go on a honeymoon, which is also often you know a week, could be less, could be more, but whatever. Um, in this culture back then, a lot of the time they would have a wedding celebration that would literally take a week, and there'd be different things that go on, so it could be referring to that, and or um, it could also be looking in here and saying, okay, a week and is seven years. So biblically, we know that a week can be representative of seven years, and we see that in Daniel 9-2. Now, why I bring this up is because this is one of the coolest things in the Bible. It's one of the things that stood out has stood out to me so just vividly in the Bible that it really brings it to life. So I'm going to rip through it real quick, but you can also go back and listen to the Revelation podcast where we discussed it uh, as well. But Daniel 9-2, I'll just read this real quick. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the book's the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So in 9-2, it discusses 70 weeks. So if we multiply 70 weeks times 7 years, we get 490 years. And that's exactly what we see in Daniel 9. And you can learn about it, like we said in our Revelation study, or you can go study it elsewhere. But if you look, it would be 483 years from the time that Artaxerxes decreed to rebuild Jerusalem in 444 BC 
until Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem in 33 AD, keeping in mind that they used to use a 360 calendar day year, which was later switched to 365 as we know today. So the last seven years will be fulfilled during the seven-year tribulation between the rapture and the millennial kingdom. So this wraps together, and I like to, you know, this, this stood out to me, whether this is what this actually means here in verse 27 or not, it could mean, you know, a couple different things to look at it, but I thought it was worth bringing up because it's so important. If you look at the Bible, there's 490 years, and it's separated into different sections. And when you total up the first kind of couple sections, you get 483 years, 483 is seven years shy of 490. That's the seven missing years, which are still to come. Right now we're in the church age. When the church gets raptured, then you'll have the tribulation, which is that remaining seven-year period. Then you'll have the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Then you'll have the forever eternal kingdom, only for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, who declared them declared Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. So I bring that up here because it's truly one of the coolest things I ever read, uh, learned in the Bible. Go listen to the Revelation study. You'll learn a little bit more, or you can study it on your own. But it, it, it is unbelievable, the specificity the exactness with which that prophecy has uh, so far come true and how it will be completely fulfilled with the seven-year tribulation. But you don't want to be around for that seven-year tribulation, so give your life to Christ so that you don't have to go through the seven-year tribulation if that time occurs when you're on this earth. And you'll notice here in verse 30 that it says, Jacob went into Rachel and loved Rachel more than Leah. So let's look at Matthew 6.24, which says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Another way that's uh, written is you you cannot serve both God and money. And here we're looking at kind of having two, just go with me here. I'm not saying masters, but two wives, right? God is very clear biblically that he does not want polygamy. He wants monogamy. One husband, one wife, that's it. No other spouses. No concubines, uh, no adultery, no affairs, no divorces, right? This is God's highest. But yet we screw that up with divorces, with uh, adultery, with all sorts of stuff. And then some people around the world do polygamy. That's what you're seeing here going on with Jacob, who married two. There's going to be problems. You're going to like one more than the other. There's going to be jealousy. Jealousy is bad for so many reasons. You and I understand it. It And it causes you a lot of problems, right? If I'm the one who's jealous... That's hurting me more than it's hurting anybody else. If I'm the one who's angry, it's hurting me more than anybody else. So here, we're going to have lots of problems, and we're, we're seeing it all come full circle, this web of lies and deceits. So if there's any lies or deceit that you're partaking in in your life, I just encourage you to lay it at the altar of God. Ask Him to help you. Ask forgiveness and, and stop doing that and move on. And the, the challenge today for any of us is to think of anyone that we may be jealous of, anything that may be, may be taking, that God may be jealous of us for, right? And, and when I say that term, I mean the good jealousy, right? God wants our heart. He wants us to think about him more than anything. He's jealous for us to love him more than we love anything else. So if there's anything in your life or my life, this is our challenge, that is taking our time and attention away from God then may we pray that God would bring that to our attention, that we would work on that to minimize it so that we can maximize our faith in God and he would show himself more through our life because we allow him to. So, Lord, thank you so much. Uh, If there's anything that we're jealous of, 
Take away that envy. Help us not to envy anything, not to covet anything or anyone. We don't need that. We've got so much wealth if we just have you, and we're going to have it eternally in the eternal kingdom. Lord, and I know you want our heart. First and foremost, we want us to love you more than we love anything else. So if there's anything that's taken our money, our time and attention away from you, maybe that's thinking about money or success or someone else's house or boat or vacation or their family or their children or their great relationship, their great marriage, anything like that. If there's anything that's taken our mind off of you, Lord, take that away. Show it to us and help us to focus on you first and foremost and let everything else derive off of that. We thank you, Lord, for your just amazing, being amazing and loving us. In your amazing name, amen. This podcast brought to you in part by the Portfolio Protection Store, where smart investors go to protect their life savings from stock market losses. Visit our website to register for our webinar, theportfolioprotectionstore.com. The webinar is about portfolio protection and safe money ideas for ages 50 plus. Visit theportfolioprotectionstore.com. Located in Austin, Texas, license number 288-7886.